0: today. Part two of a sermon that started last week. If you're new to Mission, guests, visitors, welcome. Thank you. My name is Eric. I'm one of the elders here um, at Mission. Thank you guys for joining us here on this day. We're working through the book of Ephesians. There's this guy named Paul. He used to be a terrorist, probably the, the biggest antagonist against the church. And yet Jesus saves him, um, and he becomes a missionary church planter all over the known modern world. Uh, During his lifespan, he writes because he falls in love with this group of pagans, Um, In this city called Ephesus where they worshipped Diana or Artemis. Um, And there's all this crazy uh, immorality and these cults that surround this very prosperous city. So Paul writes this letter to this group of people because he went there and he preached. And guess what happens? When the gospel is planted, when the gospel is preached... Jesus saves people, and then those saved people form the family of God. They form the church. And so Paul, years later, probably around eight years later, is writing back to this group of people. Paul's in prison. At any moment, the Romans could come in, and it will eventually do this, and behead him for preaching that Jesus is Lord. And so up until this point, he, he is writing these churches, some final thoughts of encouragement to them. He has not seen these brothers and sisters for quite some time. He loves them dearly, and he knows when he left them that there would be false teachers, wolves, sin, that would come into the church and try to destroy it. And so Paul writes this letter and he spends the first three chapters and it's what we call doctrine, 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 theology, theology. He is telling them before they get to any action in the Christian life that you must first view it in the identity of who you are. That if you are in Jesus... If you are his son, if you are his daughter, and he's going to talk about those things, adoption, chosen, predestined, the inheritance of Christ, the, the inheritance of God, that, that we were once dead, that we have been made alive, all these things are courtesy of Jesus, and yet it is our temptation to awfully fall into, of putting the the cart before the horse that we want to get about the practicalities, we want to know how this affects our marriages, we want to know how this affects our jobs, how it affects our government, how it affects our day-to-day, and yet Paul is very clear that those things are important, that there is a worthy walk for those who have been called by Christ Jesus that there are these identity traits that reflect who your daddy is. Uh, my sister and I, we look like our parents. My parents are, are here today visiting, and it's always a joy to have them. But when you see them, you will go, oh, that's the Baker's kids right there. My sister and I get stopped all the time by random people in the Walmarts, also known as Hell on Earth, and they will often ask us if, if, if we are kin to Joyce Baker. Because you look just like Joyce Baker, you kin to Joyce Baker. There are traits that have been passed down to myself and my sister from our parents. And yet me and my sister are different. So the calling of Christ is unity in the family. Unity in the body, and yet that does not always equate uniformity. So Paul's going to call us to unity. He is going to call us to using our giftedness. He is going to call us to Christian maturity. And as we began last week, he is going to call us to live out this new life. And so beginning next week, we're going to get into a lot of practical day-to-day. So like next week, I have to preach on what is righteous anger versus sinful Anger And the importance of how that is reflective of the first three chapters of Ephesians determining who you are in Christ. That there's a time to be angry. And there's a lot of things that we should not be angry about that we often get angry about. Alright, so that begins the rest of our year really is looking at practical, 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 practical in view of who we are in Jesus So we see here that in this new life, in this new birth, that if you have been saved by Jesus, by God himself through the power of the Holy Spirit, that there is traits that should be found in the family. And that if you don't see these traits, then you're probably yet to be saved and you should cry out to God today to save you. All right? So last week in new life part 1, we looked at verses 17 through 19, and by way of contrast, Paul being a good writer and author, he does this all the time, he will show both ends of the spectrum. He will show the antithesis of one another. He will show this is what is bad and this is what is good. This is what the pagans do. The non-Christians, they act like this so Christians, those whom should be sa- who are saved, should have a completely different way of living, and so he goes into that in verses 17 through 19 as we covered last week. That there is, he is urging them, insisting to them that they no longer act like Christians. Uh, excuse me, non-Christians. Uh, the temptation is is that they're acting like non-Christians, and pretty much we sum that up. A sermon in a sentence is stop it. All right. That if you're claiming to be a follower of Jesus and you're acting like a non-Christian, here's the thing, you need to repent and turn back to Christ and the realization of who he is or it is evidence that you were not saved to begin with, therefore you need to repent as well. All right, so he's urging them, he's telling them that there is this futility in their thinking, that there's this meaningless in their thinking, that the world, if you are not a Christian, that your life is meaningless, that your thinking is meaningless, your existence, all these sorts of things, purpose in life, are practically all meaningless. And that the futility of our thinking and the way that we see the world, if we are in Christ, should be completely different from that way of living, No one should have to guess whether or not, brothers and sisters, friends, that you're a Christian. It is evident. You carry the traits of your daddy. You carry the traits of God Almighty if he is in you. Your identity has been changed. And yet, for some reason, we have created a false Christianity where that is the common core belief and understanding inside of American Western Christendom. So he talks some about this, again, this old life. He paints this picture of non-Christians. This is how they act. This is the, the, they're alienated from God. They have the hardest of the hearts. They're calloused over, and they practice all sorts of impurity. We get to verse 20, where we'll camp out today, 20 through 24, and it says this, But that is not the way you learned Christ. That is not the way that you learned Christ. Point one, number one that we need to see today is that according to this scripture, according to the person and work of Jesus, inspiring Paul to write here, is that this new life begins by knowing Christ. Now those who are more astute in their original languages, uh, in the Greek, the Bible was written in Greek, and, and in that language they, they explained to me that, that Paul's Greek is really difficult to understand here. Now my mother-in-law is a retired English teacher, she knows her stuff, right? But when I read a statement that says something like this, but that is not the, day, the way you learned Christ. The difficulty there is this idea of learned Christ. It's actually not mentioned in any other Greek New Testament. It's actually not even mentioned in any other kind of Greek literature. Paul's using some different verbiage and and language here to really illustrate what does it mean to be, as they say in Edmondson County, learned. all right? Um, Y'all get that tomorrow. All right, so we get this picture of what does it mean to be learned in this way, that you've learned Christ, that new life begins in this. It's a very interesting phrase, because the word learned here means in a relational knowledge. In a relational knowledge. We see some comparisons to this We talk about this sometimes when we talk about marriage in the book of Genesis when it says in chapter 4, Adam knew Eve. That's an interesting way of talking about intimacy, all right? And yet we see here in the scripture itself that you and I, and I know that this can freak out men when we start looking at Jesus like our husband, our boyfriend. I understand all of the, the difficulties of that. But you need to embrace it from a masculine perspective, that it is is important to us. And the call of the gospel is for men and women, those whom God has saved, that there is an intimate relationship with God Almighty, that we have a knowledge of him that is transferable into an actual relationship again. If, it should be no wonder. People shouldn't be asking the question whether or not you or I are a Christian. They should know that by our external and internal relationship with Jesus. Grandparents and dads, they always, and mamas too, we always talk about things that we love or people that we love. And we will often speak of our children, of our grandchildren. Why? Because of relational connection, love, knowledge, A relationship that is so important. See, non-Christians, they're darkened. They're alienated. Yet believers are what? Illuminated. They are alienated. We are intimate. They are hard. We, the scripture would say, are soft. Our hearts are soft toward the things of God. As Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, "I want to know Christ. It is all about Jesus. Life without Jesus, meaningless, has no purpose. Life in Jesus life, knowing Jesus, life in the pursuit of Jesus is, is filled with Meaning, we, we, uh, we have this relationship that your life, the, the reason why you should exist on this planet is to know Jesus. But this knowing is not simply intellectual assent or the agreement with philosophies. But it is that this knowledge, this relationship forever shapes your life. Every aspect of it. See, here's the issue. Many of us only know Jesus through someone else. See, as one of your pastors, if you only know Jesus as I speak of him, as I know him, then it's very likely that you don't know Jesus. All right? Um, if you guys remember last fall, I believe it was, that we, we did a, a group study called Behold Your God. And in that book, it's a great devotional. I encourage you to do it. Uh, for those of you who didn't do it when we were doing it, go do it. All right? It's awesome. Um, and in that, uh, there's this great statement talking about how people will often only know Jesus through hearsay. That you will only know Jesus as it's regurgitated by a TV preacher, by some podcast, or by your very own pastors. And yet the calling of Christ is that you should know Jesus. Like really know him. Many of us only know Jesus in the same way that we know Abe Lincoln. So you can be a biographer of Abe Lincoln. I would say that if you're a biographer of Abe Lincoln, one... You're a nerd, all right? You got lots of time on your hands to write. You really like Honest Abe, and that's a great thing. He's a great president, all those sorts of stuff. You really know Abe Lincoln if you write a biography about that brother, all right? But you don't know Abe Lincoln. You don't know Abe Lincoln. See, there are many people, including scholars with lots of letters out next to their name, that know way more about the scripture that you and I are to to read. They know much more about the historical Jesus and yet they do not know Jesus. They know facts. There are people who know lots of facts about Jesus. There are people who have a lot of hearsay about Jesus but the reality is that neither one of those people really know Jesus. I had a professor up at Western Kentucky University, and he knew that Bible backwards and forwards. All right? Brother did not know Jesus. It's all coming from a secular perspective, and yet many people are latching on to that. The next thing that we see inside of this scripture in verse uh, 21 is this. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So new life begins in knowing Jesus. New life begins and continues in learning about Jesus. That it's not simply this one-time experience or encounter but that it is this daily, continual relationship with God Almighty. That we simply don't share a few verses on the day that we got saved, but it is a daily pursuit of Jesus in and through his very word. See, a lot of times, you and I, when you get into really rocky situations, we love to go to the scripture to find some sort of quip, some sort of you know, fortune cookie, some sort of quote to help us to get through that very moment. I just need some sort of help. and I'm not necessarily saying that there is not a place, and and I get that. There are much worse places that you and I could look to try to find some sort of encouragement. But brothers and sisters, the heartbeat of us coming to the Scripture should not simply be, how is this going to change my life? But if it's in Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, the question that you and I should ask that when we come to Jesus is to pray this small prayer show me Jesus. Show me Jesus, because that is the ultimate goal. See, all other religions besides Christianity are all built around having the correct ideas, by having the correct practices. See, but Christianity is not built around a perfect philosophy and a perfect theology Christianity is built around centered around a perfect Savior and his name is Jesus here's the deal you can have some, there are some things that are closed-fisted in Christendom that we should hold to, and you need to believe those to be a Christian. Okay, but there are lots of secondary and tertiary issues that, that we simply do not know. And I'm so thankful as a guy that's not very intelligent that we don't have to have perfect theology in order to be saved. But we have one who is perfect. And he is Jesus. The great doctor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, probably the greatest preacher in the last hundred years, says this, the Christian is not saved by a philosophy of redemption. He or she is saved by the historic person, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. See, you can know that intellectually and not know this Jesus, and yet the Paul's insisting through the power of the Holy Spirit that you and I, he is urging us to not simply know these facts, to depress in daily into the personhood of Jesus. He continues on in verse 22. He says this, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So Paul is going to reiterate what he read last week. He's going to say this idea that there is this this old life, that there is this old self. I think it's always interesting when I talk to some of our our brothers and sisters who are members here at um, Mission who knew each other B.C., all right, that's before Christ, all right? And how they had these stories, much of which they cannot repeat because it would be inappropriate for them to do so, okay? But they knew each other, all right? Um, Hannah and I, we went to high school together. We knew each other. We grew up with each other. We can mention things like about our school that was crazy, right, and we, we had this pre-Jesus experience, and yet there is this new life. And so Paul is reminding them, hey, you've got to put off the old man. Put off the old man woman? What is he reference to? Is everything that the way in which you used to live, the passions of the flesh, the evil desires of your flesh, that there should be this dividing line that you can look back to and say, man, this is the way that I used to be in Jesus. Put all of that out because it is inappropriate for a person who is in Christ to continue to wear old clothes. Now, I have a critter that lives in my house, her name's Ava, and if, if it was left up to my daughter, she would pretty much wear winter pajamas year around, all right? She'll come climb up in my lap, like yesterday was what, 120,000? And um, she, you know, it's like one of those kinda hot days, and this girl is wearing full neck, I mean, she's modest, it's head to toe. This girl's covered. She looks like a Muppet. It's so furry. This thing, and she'll climb up into Lorna's lap, and it's like, you have got to get off of me, you sweaty little critter, right? And the thing is, she would wear that if we didn't remind her, like, you, you can't wear that to church. You can't wear that to school, right? Those are last night's th- three nights ago pajamas that you're still wearing, right? Take a bath. Brush your teeth. There are these old garments. And so this old man, this old life. Now, what's interesting about this, and this is where it again, we get into what's called the now but the not yet. Look at me. If you are in Jesus, guess where the old is? It's gone. The old man is already gone. It's it's remembered no more by God Almighty. That dead man, that former self, you remember it, your friends remember it, your family remember it, but God has cast it as far as infinity and beyond. That God himself has removed that old man in Jesus, that old woman in Jesus. So that's the now. Now. You stand before God as a new man, as a new woman. And that's your position. Positionally, you are new. And yet, Paul, through the inspiration of Scripture here, is telling us to do what? To put it off. All right? So you've got to hold to the promise, this is a done deal. I'm as new as I'm ever going to get if I am in Jesus, and yet Paul, the power of the Holy Spirit, working through the writing of Paul, is telling those believers, though that is positionally true in heaven, there is to be a reality of that experience on this earth, as long as you shall live. That you are daily getting up, there are all these illustrations that we could use this, but you got up this morning, hopefully unlike my daughter, which... She changed, all right, is she put off your pajamas this morning and you came to worship. I mean, let's all face it. Let's go back to Walmart for a minute. I mean, when you dedicate whole websites to what people wear to Walmart, you know it's a problem, okay? Anybody ever been to Walmart and you're like, oh, (laughs) they did not change, Right? College students. Your mama know you're wearing that. Your daddy know you're not wearing that. Right? I mean, it looks strange to be in this situation where it's inappropriate. it's not appropriate, appropriate dress for whatever occasion. And so Paul is illustrating, again, there's all kinds in our modern lives of illustrations of this, but Paul is saying, man, you're, you're, if, if you are claiming to be in, in Christ and yet wearing this old self and acting like this old self, it, it's inappropriate, it doesn't make sense. It's being, you know, showing up for something. You know, Laura is one of those wives who goes, I want to know what the dress code is. Uh, I don't know, wear clothes. Right, that's good it's like no no we're not we're not starting there it's like i don't want to show up too dressed up and all the other ladies are in jeans and shirts and sandals right and i also don't want to show up like that and them not dressed appropriately okay and so we 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 see this struggle in us that that christ has called us both to a life to live that is in jesus that, that we are to put these things off knowing he has already put them off he's telling us to rid ourselves of corrupt practices he's telling us as as paul would say in romans chapter 6 verse 6 we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin we see this picture don't we I love this idea of this, this thing that has happened. That Imagine with me just for a moment that you are imprisoned and that you are enslaved. We've all seen the movies. We've all seen the television shows where someone breaks out of prison, and, and yet they've got on the orange jumpsuit, and they're free, and they're running, except for one small problem. Their feet are shackled. Right? And one of the processes is always... How are we going to get these shackles off? We're, we're free. Imagine with me for a moment. Guess like the old song used to say, like once, like a bird in prison I dwelt. No freedom from my sorrow I, what? Yes. Jesus, if you are in Christ this morning, he has completely set you free. You have complete freedom. Though you are guilty, you are made free. And yet there is the shackles of worldliness that is constantly trying to show you and slow you down. And so Paul is saying, get up daily, chisel, saw against those fleshly shackles around your very hearts and minds. I love the picture of Lazarus right inside the New Testament, man named Lazarus, Jesus' best friend. He dies his sisters are flipping out because they're like, Jesus, if you would have been present, Lazarus wouldn't have died, right? So Jesus goes on a vacation, and he takes an extra long way to get to the, to the grave. The funeral has already happened. He's been dead in there for days. King James says, he stinketh, right? Jesus shows up on the scene. He says, Lazarus, come forth, and all we get is this picture of like the mummy coming out of this grave, and what does Jesus say to do? Remove his grave clothes. Is Lazarus alive? 100%. Has he been resurrected? 100%. He has been set free from the grave and death itself, and yet Jesus looks at the people around him, and he says, remove the grave clothes. What a picture of the rest of our lives you were once dead as ephesians tells us made alive in christ and the rest of our earthly lives guess what the process is removing the grave clothes but it is not done by you alone removing of the grave clothes is always taking place inside of community he could not free himself it took jesus and it took those around him what a picture of the beauty of the church. We see this inside the act of baptism, right? If you've grown up in a tradition... Um, that was maybe taking place inside of a church, um, we will often baptize people um, by, by giving them a white robe to wear. So everybody looks like they're going to a graduation. If you're getting baptized, you get the white robe today. Cool hip churches, we give you a t-shirt that says, like, got saved or rescued or something on it, all right? But when you get this picture of that the old man is dead, the new man is alive in Jesus, and that there's this even physical representation to the crowd. Of these white robes. At a church I used to serve at, they used to sing this song that went something like this. And it's a really cheesy song, but I like this line. It says, you can't wear your old shoes on your brand new feet. You can't wear your old shoes on your brand new feet. So the church, we are new. The people of God are new, and yet we are fighting in our flesh, see the Bible calls us not only to be aware of our sin, but the Bible calls us not only to have sorrow for our sin, but the Bible calls you, brothers and sisters, to hate your sin, to hate it, to despise it, to war against it. The the, the Puritans called it the mortification of sin, the mortification, the killing, the murder. Of your own sinful desires. They also called it, the Puritans called it, the vivification, that when you came to newness in a walking in Christ, that you were not any longer fighting the inward man, but brothers and sisters, we are fighting our flesh. Have you ever noticed this? That when Jesus comes back, he does not give his children a new soul. What does he give them? A new body. A new body. I look forward to that day. It's going to be a great day. (laughs) All right? It's going to be really, really awesome that day. Okay? I'm at the stage as I hit 40 here this week. I am at the stage where I have the ability to not grow hair on the top of my head, but it will grow leaps and bounds on my earlobes. (laughs) Heaven is going to be amazing. you got to get this. When Jesus comes back, you are not getting a a new soul. Guess what? Jesus has already redeemed your soul. He's going to give you a new body to match the soul that he's already given you. And there is great joy in that. There's great joy the realization that there's, there is no more heart attacks, that there's no more cancer. All of those great and beautiful things as, as this, this earthly sinful earth suit is no more and we are given a, a new body. But what does also the book of Revelation tell us? Get a new robe to cover that body in. This is the picture. It makes no sense for us to continue on living this way. When we are in Jesus, there is much joy and satisfaction. He goes on, the new life, so we, we have seen here that the new life begins in knowing Christ, that the new life begins in learning about Jesus, that the new life it means putting off the old life, but also in verses 23 through 24, it says the new life means putting on these new clothes. Let's read it. And put the put, excuse me is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That for those of us who are in Jesus, that there's not just the removal, it's not that we are walking around and to use this illustration lightly, but that, that we are unclothed, that we are naked. But he, he, he wants that to be removed in order to provide something new. Let me just read a few passages to you, and I pray that these will just sweep over you. Second Corinthians 5:17. "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come." Colossians chapter three, verse nine through 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the Creator. Your new clothes are more like God. Isn't that the goal? Get to Jesus. Get to Jesus. Get to Jesus. Get to Jesus. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is uh, no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. We get these ones from Colossians 3, 2. Set your minds on things above. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I I I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your, what? Of your mind that by testing you may discern that what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Jesus will say, do not love this world or the things of this world, not to, for us to have our, our flesh on worldly desires, but to fight against these things. We see this as the image of God, as the picture of God that is being painted before us, that there was a former life, and brothers and sisters, you, don't need to, you need to forget some of those things, but do not forget where you came from. But let us not forget where we are going. That Jesus Christ, if he has saved you, has placed his seal of ownership and approval upon your very existence. And nothing in this world, including you, can scratch it off. I'm going to date myself a little bit. It is Father's Day. I've got kids. Here we go. Do you guys remember several years ago there was this movie called A Bug's Life? Not can be confused with ants who came at the same time. It's practically the same story. you guys remember A Bug's Life? All right. Inside A Bug's Life, there is uh, this kind of German-speaking caterpillar Named Hemlock, right? And uh, Hemlock is an extremely overweight caterpillar. He's this big, fluffy, roly poly, looks like the Michelin man, green guy, kind of scooting around, not very smart. And all you see this guy doing pretty much inside of Bugs Life is eating and simultaneously talking about, well, one day I'm going to be this beautiful butterfly. One day I'm going to be a butterfly. One day I'm going to be a butterfly. One day I am going to be a beautiful butterfly. And this is all he talks about in between eating all of the grasses and the grains and all of these things. He just keeps saying, one day I will be a beautiful butterfly and everything will be better. Now, spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, the Avengers show up, right? (laughs) No, all right? At the end of the movie, if you watch the credits, that's when they show up, all right? At the end of the movie, it shows Hemlik, and he has become a cocoon. And they're all celebrating because they've won victory against all the, the evil insects. And they're all looking up, and Hemlik comes busting forth from the cocoon. And he goes, before he ever comes out, "I'm a beautiful butterfly." About that time, like he, he falls from the cocoon and goes, plop, on the ground. And he looks absolutely no different. And it shows him, get this grimace on his face, and he goes, and he goes, boink. And these two little bitty wings pop out of this obese caterpillar. And he goes, I'm a beautiful butterfly. And the ants around him start going, fly, Hemlik, fly, Hemlik. And he keeps trying to fly, and he can't go anywhere. So two other flying insects come land on Hemlik and and lift him up. And the entire time, that brother believes that he's flying. And he looks down at the ants who are just right below him. And he goes, from here, you all look like a bunch of ants. And they fly him off into the, the virtual CGI sunset, all the while himlick believing that he is a beautiful butterfly. The truth is, brothers and sisters, is that Hemlik wasn't a beautiful butterfly. He was no difference. I've actually got a picture, I think, of, of the actual uh, period of what it looks like for a butterfly to change. I mean, no one looks at a caterpillar and goes, that's a butterfly. No one looks at a butterfly and goes, that's a caterpillar. And yet, this is the the transform transformation that takes place as they go from this former existence, former life former way of even seeing the world, going from crawling on your belly to flying through the sky is quite a big difference in the way in which you see the world. In the gospel, as we talk about this, this word transformation is the idea of metamorphosis. It means a complete Change in personhood, in identity, in the way that you live on this planet. There is a big difference between this caterpillar and where he ends up and his experiences from then on. See for Hemlik, the wings were just merely an add-on. They did not determine who he was. For many people, for us in Christ, for many people who are claiming to be followers of Jesus, they are much like Hemlock. They are much like a caterpillar who is claiming to be a beautiful butterfly. They're claiming transformation. Jesus has changed me. And yet, little to very little inside of their lives reflect a new worldview, a new understanding and I'm not just talking about brothers and sisters and the way in which we can all mask around and away from each other. I'm talking about what's even happening up here that no one else knows about. That has Christ invade, invaded the area in between your two ears. That that's how deep that Jesus is wanting to go. Any one of us can become robotic in this Christendom and morality. And Paul is saying through Jesus, he is urging us, I insist, I urge you, put this Away. There's a new way of seeing the world, and it is in Jesus. See, being in Christ is not an add-on to your current life. It is rather your complete new life. See, when we often in our culture can, cha- can tell the change in people's lives based on what they wear. A few weeks ago, we strapped a bunch of people into dresses, both men and women, slapped some funky hat on them, and they went in there, High school students, they came out graduates. How do we know inside those graduations who was graduating? What they were wearing. We see this in a soldier. That you go from being a civilian to going through boot camp. They give you your dress blues, your dress greens, your whites, whatever they are. They slap medals on you. They slap a a particular weight. They buzz all of your hair off. I used to mess with a friend of mine who used to wear dog tags. Because he had never been in the army. Right? That's weird. All right? We still love him, don't we? All right? Not looking over here. All right? So... I mean, there, there is something that comes with the process. There's something that comes in the transformation. This... It's completely different. We, we change them. There is a change of clothes. What a, what, I think out of all of this, one of the, the greatest pictures of this is, is, is this change in relationship. That, that You need to understand walking in Jesus is not out of being driven by guilt. It is being driven by your genuine relationship with Jesus. And that relationship changes everything. It is not out of religious duty. That is all other religions. But it is out of genuine love, your perspective of life and how you daily live changes. And I think that the greatest illustration of this is this. When Laura and I got married, 2001, July the 28th, coming up next month. This is before Pinterest, all right? It's before weddings got cool and hip and you wrapped everything in burlap, all right? This is when weddings were simple, And I even know that our wedding was probably more than my parents' wedding because I've seen pictures, all right? But this is before you spent, you know, $50,000, $100,000, every average Joe person, right? This is the time where you had to go to your parents and be like, hey, can you help me get a ring because I'm a college student sort of time, right? No photo booths, none of that stuff. But when when I Laura and I got re- married she wore something that she has never worn since. She wore a wedding dress. All eyes were on her. When those doors opened up and and Larry walked her down the aisle, we stood at the one in amazement, at the one who is not dressed like the rest of us. We stared at her, we oohed at her. We, I was by this time, and this is no lie, ugly crying. As she walked down this aisle, she walked down the aisle, a single woman, But after this experience, after this moment in time, she went in single, she came out married. And the expectation of me as her husband and her expectation of me and the expectations of everyone who gathered in that church was that she and I were going to forever live differently than the way that we did before we came in. That was what the expectation was. The relationship changed everything. Everything. And again, that's what everybody believed that's what you should do. It it is strange, right? When we hear about marriages that aren't centered on the person and work of Jesus, and they're all going all of these different ways, or people step out of their marriages, that's not the expectation. That's not the way in which we should live, because on that day, as you're committing those covenants, there is something different that that girl is wearing. And since those days, I've been wearing something different as well. See, this, this ring is, is not to show other women I'm off the market. I know it's hard for a lot of them. This, this ring that I wear is to remind me to live according to the expectations that I promised God, I promised her, and I promised those witnesses. That's why we see in these sleazy shows when men walk into bars and what's the first thing that they remove? the ring it's the showing of a different marriage everything changed on that one moment in that one day everything changed the expectations the life all of these things we 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 get this daily reminder in this wedding ring that 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 things are not different they they are completely different and we're reminded of a past experience of how we should live in the present experience. If you're in Jesus, guess what? Past, present, future. All your sin washed away. You're completely covered. You've been given a new name. You've been given a new robe. All of this happened according to Ephesians chapter 1. When? Before the foundations of the earth, Jesus chose you. Before you did right or wrong, the Bible would tell us, so that no man can boast, Jesus chose you in the past. And we are given daily reminders through his word of how to live in the present, looking toward the future, all based on what Jesus did in eternity's past. The relationship changes the life. Changes the life, every aspect of it. Jesus takes our dirty, filthy sin upon the cross and he wraps us in his righteousness. We love to speak of this inside of church of being covered or washed in the blood of the Lamb. What a beautiful picture of the new robe. See, in Christ, you're not dirty, you're clean. You don't have to work to get it right but he has done the right work. You were once fatherless, hopeless, but now had the perfect father. Once you were his enemies, now you are his children. You were once the receivers of his wrath, and now we are the receivers of all the riches in heaven. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus today, wear your new clothes. Join the fight against sin, Satan, and death. And it is a daily battle. Do not take a vacation in the war. Because sin, Satan, and death is not taking a vacation on you. But it is a daily battle. A daily reminder. That the King has put His seal upon me. That the King has put His seal upon you. Let's pray.